the spot like Iron Man stars. They be the illest MCs in the world today. Cabaret Quan and the RZA. So listen to them clear and put the box right near your ear. Light your blunts and down your beers. Cause you can never fuck with Wu-Tang Killer Bees Yes people, what the hell is going on? Welcome to another episode of Echoes from the Void And um... Yeah, it's it's you know what like the um the NFL the hundredth season a hundredth season man wow the NFL started last week and you know I I was ah uh, so I was watching the Washington Philadelphia game and um yeah it was all looking good played a, a great first. I'm like Keenan is looking great as the quarterback. Like our our offensive line was good. Our defense was doing their thing. I'm like yo, could could this be it? Could we be turning a corner? And then it all <laughs> went wrong, man. Oh, oh, we had a terrible second half. It was just not great. Not great. Gave up a um a 17-point lead. Goddamn lost the game. Ah, it was terrible. So I'm just like looking at the schedule. I think it's Dallas this week. I don't know if we're gonna do shit for another season. God damn it! But um, <clears throat> yeah, a little bit of a distraction from the crazy shit happening in um the government over here in the UK. But um, yo, Parliament was suspended last week. Now the court has overrided that and said that was unlawful. So it's just waiting to see if, um, yeah, the government brings Parliament back or not. So it's just, I don't know what the fuck is happening over here. We're getting kind of like stateside politics. The whole crazy melodrama of it all. It's insane. It's insane. Um, uh, what else has happened this week? So we've got um, new iPhones have launched. Apple had their big event yesterday. Um, and um, yo, so they've launched a new iPhone, iPhone 11, that's really going to town with the cameras. So like the the pro model has three cameras on the back, uh, and and supposedly you know what I mean is helping with like um you know a better zoom function, a wide lens function, all of that shit. Front camera now takes slow mo selfies, which is like okay. 
You hear me? Like, okay, if that's what the fucking kids want, whatever. But um, I, I guess, like the I like I don't know. Like as far as I'm concerned, a phone is just a phone. You know what I mean? I'm not really using my phone for a whole heap of crazy shit. But they did announce, um, yeah, they so they announced the fact that um, Apple TV Plus is gonna be launching in the UK for um, I think it's four ninety nine, four ninety nine, which you know that that's not bad, like that's that's not a bad price, but. I think the big thing is, and I, I think we talked about this on um, previous episodes, the, the the big thing is the content, you know what I mean? Because, like, with Disney Plus that's coming in November as well, yo, they've got a whole gangload of TV Film, documentaries, all that jazz coming. And then all the content, new content that is coming. So Apple, though, they don't have that many shows. Don't have many shows. So it's going to be interesting to see how this one really takes off. Like, how many people are going to, you know, pay four ninety nine? Because uh, Yeah, it's... it's you know, it's not a crazy amount each month, but for such a limited amount of programming, you know, you, you like after a month, two months, you could have watched it all. So it's a bit like, yeah, you know, why, why bother? Um, but what they are doing kind of sensible I guess is if you buy I think if you buy a computer um you know uh, I think it's just computers yeah computers laptops if you buy you get a year's free subscription so I mean that that would give them a, a base at least you know what I mean it gives you a certain number of people with the app watching the shows because it's free. So it's just like, all right, fuck it, I'll check this out. But yeah, like, it, it, I think for for Apple TV, the big thing is how much content goes on from November this year to November next year. You know what I mean, what 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 happens in that year? Because they need a significant amount of content coming on board to make people think, yo, let me stick with this. You know what I mean? You get a free membership, but if there's nothing really new there, why would you, you know, re-up on that shit? So um yeah, I I think it's interesting times for Apple. They also launched Apple Arcade, which is their game streaming um, platform. So I, for them, I think that's probably a more productive enterprise than Apple TV out the gate, you know. And again, that's four ninety nine. 
So I think that's probably going to do better for them over Apple TV right now. But yeah, I, I think it's just a um, a waiting game. The thing I'm really interested in really is probably the the new iPad 7. Because, yo, I need a laptop. So, this like, it's a bigger screen. 10.2 inches. You know what I mean? So, yeah, that could be the way to go. You know what I mean? I don't know. We'll see. But, um, yeah, let's get into um, a bit of crazy news that I saw floating around. Which is just a bit like... Oh, God, what the fuck, man? But, yeah, let's get to that shit. Okay, so, in one of the... I don't know what to call this, man. It's it's just a... It seems a crazy-ass story. Just insane, really. But, okay, so, a 73-year-old woman... In um, the Indian state of Andhra Pradesh Has given birth to twin girls That's right Twin girls to a 73 year old woman Which is just Like her husband is 82 82 people God damn So obviously <laughs> This was um, You know Following Some IVF treatment That they had But um, Yeah It's It's The craziest story That I've, I've kind of seen Like in the piece, so the couple were talking and they were saying, oh, that they, uh, one of the reasons they decided to do IVF was because they've, they felt that they'd been looked down upon by other people in their village, you know, like going, oh yeah, she's the, um, the motherless woman and, 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 and stuff like that, but it's a bit like, Man, who fucking cares? There's the, you know what I mean? Your peers saying this, they're probably going to die soon anyway. But as you think about it, right? So, just for these kids, like, getting to, when they're 15, she's going to be 88. She's going to be 88. You know what I mean? And He's going to be 97. 97. But, yo, who knows if he even gets to that point. So, a day after, like, they wrote this piece, the guy got rushed to hospital with a sh- because he had a stroke. So, um, yeah, like, that's not good. You know what I mean? Uh, like, who knows if he kind of survives that. But it's, it's just... Like, the, 
so you know the things that i'm kind of thinking about right so when you have because there's no picture of the babies you know there's no kind of talk like the babies were like a healthy way of none of that in this piece and you you have to wonder because you know what i mean having a kid at say the 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 normal age right so from 16 to let's say 44 let's say 44 there's people having kids later i mean not this late but later so let's say for let's say 45 between those ages right your so your body kind of it's got a certain level of minerals and vitamins and all of you know nutrients all of that stuff but as you get older that diminishes right so firstly now having a kid that is going to drain you you know that's why some people get diabetes and things like that for the just for the period of the pregnancy so what the fuck is that doing to you if you're 83? Right? So you've got that. And, you know, the, the babies are feet, like, they get in their food from you through the umbilical cord. So, yeah, what, how are these babies gonna be? That's the crazy thing. Like, how are these babies gonna be? Like, is it going to affect their growth? You know what I mean? Their, their, their height, their their capacity to learn and all of that kind of stuff. Like, yeah. I think that's the big question of, like, an 83-year-old having a kid. Well, not just one kid. Twins. Freaking twins. And uh, so it's like um, the, the the kids were delivered via cesarean. Yeah, of course they're delivered by cesarean. Can you imagine those kids coming through that dry ass, <laughs> you read birth canal? Like, man, they they would come out. Looking like they've been on a cheese grater. You know what I mean? That shit is probably so dry. It would just take all the skin off anything coming out of it. So, yeah. Obviously, those kids were delivered via cesarean. It's just crazy. But, um, yeah, like, one of the craziest things that, um... I think was said in in this piece was um <laughs> uh was it like nothing is in our hands whatever should happen will happen it is all in the hands of god that's what the husband said when asked what's going to happen if you and your wife like die in the next few years which is crazy. 
You know what I mean? Because then you have there's these two kids with no freaking parents. What the fuck? That's insane. Like if you're crazy wealthy, you've got like mad money, put some aside. You know, that's not it's trust me, that's not a great situation, but at least at least you know what I mean? they they're not gonna starve. But if not, you are now hoping on the generosity of you know what I mean your 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 neighbours and whatnot. Otherwise, I I don't know. Is, is there a children's home in this village? Like the it's kind of baffling that they haven't thought about what's gonna happen to the kids if we die that's in that's insane but shit you know <laughs> boy that, that's some crazy shit man that is some crazy shit like i don't know if this has happened in um other parts of the world you know what I mean? I don't think anyone in the UK is given birth at this age, but fuck. Imagine this being a trend. Wait, <laughs> okay. Well, um, yeah, you know, it's, like there's not a lot that I really give a damn about happening at the moment. I mean, there's crazy shit, but what are you going to do? So, you know what? Let's get. Let's get on to other shit, right? So, um, yeah, I popped to the um, Somerset House. They had a, a, an exhibition on. So, um, yeah, let's 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 get into that shit, right? On Saturday, I went to um, see Get Up, Stand Up Now, Generations of Black Creative Pioneers, which is an exhibition that is currently on. At the Somerset House. Um, but it finishes um, this coming uh, Sunday on the 15th of September. Um, so, yes. Uh, Monday, Tuesday, Saturday, and Sunday, it's open 10 till 6. Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday, it's open 11 till um, with last entry an hour before closing time Now I, I saw like Somerset House's website Really doesn't have a great deal of information about their exhibition So I came across a couple of interesting pieces um, One being The Guardian which kind of does a good summary of what is on display So I'm just going to go through this um, this was written by Lauren Cochran. Uh, so it says, Zach Ove, uh, the creator of Somerset House's Get Up, Stand Up Now, describes the exhibition as a review and a celebration of our Caribbean and African culture that has permeated and contributed to British society and reveals how we are all the richer for it. 
If that description verges on the academic, the content of this showcase, which features more than a hundred different artists across photography, painting, music and film, is more like an immersive portrait of black British life over the last 50 years and the influence of this creativity across UK culture. The predominantly black contributors include artists from the Windrush generation such as Denzel Forrester whose paintings portray life um, in 80s London to Steve McQueen, Betty Saar, Zadie Smith and seminal music producer Dennis Boville. The young talent featured includes photographer Rhea Storr, whose work looks at mixed race identity growing up in Yorkshire. Scott's band Young Fathers, fashion designers Martin Rose and Grace Wales Boomer and Jen Nickru who worked on Beyonce and Jay-Z's Apeshit video. It all begins with Zach's father, Horace Ove, who was the first black British person to direct a feature film, 1975's Pressure, about a black British teenager and the racism he experiences. Zach hopes this exhibition, which includes some work never seen by the public before, will provide a, re a reassessment of his father's legacy. I'm really excited that the public will be able to see my father's work again or perhaps discover it, he says. He was such a pioneer of his time. The fact that Ove's is not more widely known is symptomatic of the epidemic lack of diversity in the arts, something that may now be changing. This exhibition follows Tate Modern's Soul of a Nation, which took place last year, 2018, about art in the United States Black Power era and Wales Booners A Time for New Dreams showcase at the Serpentine Sackler Gallery in January of this year, which featured the work of black creatives including Liz Johnson, Orta and Ben Okri, Forrester, who began making art in the mid-1970s, acknowledges that there has been a shift from his experience as a young artist. When I was a young student at Central Art School and the Royal College of Art, there were no black students in my year and few black artists in the college as a whole, he says. There was also no evidence of black artists in commercial galleries. This is beginning to change. Music has been a world where black British artists have had more freedom. Producer Beauville is contributing pieces he has collected over 45 year career, working with the stilts, with the slits, Janet Kay and poet Linton Wesley Johnson. He says that working on the exhibition made him reassess his achievements. 
it made me think about how important my work is and what a journey I have had, he says. And it made me think that everything I have done is good. Beauville was born in Barbados in 1953 when it was still a British colony, but settled in London, making music from the late 60s. The expression of black Britishness is seen in many walks of life, he says. I am one of the statistics that made something of the last 40 years. Beauville is curious about the next generation in his lineage. There are some exciting youngsters coming through, he says. I can only be proud to think that I may be one of the giants upon the, whose shoulders they stand. <clears throat> With so many contributors, there is space for, for mirrored expressions of black Britishness. Ajumu provides a different point of view. The photographer is best known for his fierce series, portraits of young LGBT people from second generation black British backgrounds and those born and raised in the Caribbean and Africa. He says black British identity is multidimensional. It's not just about the usual suspects, race, sexuality and gender. It's place, class and much more besides. I was born and raised in Huddersfield. That would be a very different experience from Halifax, Leeds or Dewsbury. Ajmu has shown his fierce images in London's 800-year-old Guild Hall. It is an amazing space with pre-Raphaelite paintings everywhere. Very British, he says. This puts young black and brown people not generally seen as part of that conversation in the dialogue. Arguably, this exhibition's Somerset House venue, another rarefied address, has a similar resonance. This exhibition reflects unadulterated black pride, says Ove, with the freedom to fill in all the blanks where we didn't exist before. So yeah, that was Lauren Cochran's piece from The Guardian. And I think it does a really good job of informing you of, like, what you can expect to see there um, at Somerset House. Because, yeah, the, the web, their website doesn't tell you that. Um, now, it was interesting walking around, uh, you know. Yeah. But, look, I, I saw another piece in Time Out that I'm going to read. Um, and then I will give my views of the exhibition. Um, so, you can't neatly sum up the black contribution to culture. And if this show is anything to go by, you can't do it messily either. The premise is that it's a celebration of the past 50 years of black creativity in Britain and beyond. And if that doesn't sound so ludicrously broad that it sets your eyes twitching, I don't know what will. It starts with the Windrush generation, and in particular, the brilliant work of photographer and filmmaker Horace Ove, the shows curated by his son Zach, also an artist. From there, the show looks at the disparate um, connections between international black artistic communities 
in Africa, America and the Caribbean from the 60s through to the present day. Separated into unfollowable themes, this is an exhibition absolutely filled with stuff. There are massive vitrines piled high with magazines and posters and flyers and masks. There are photos, sculptures and installations. There's music, painting and film. Some of it is fantastic. Those photos of the 1960s and 70s London cut through with anger, politics and partying are all amazing window into the past. Denzel Forrester, Lubina Himid and Sonia Boyce's paintings are gorgeous passionate examples of what black British painters have been up to over the past 40 years. But why is American artist Hank Willis Thomas's, Thomas here with an image of an American football player facing off with a cotton picker? Why is Ethiopian American painter Julie Meferuti's abstraction chucked in here? Why is Trinidad-based white artist Peter Duish here with his film posters? It's not bad art. It's just impossible to figure out what the connection between all of it is, other than blackness, which infinitely too vast a topic for one show. The themes are impossible to figure out. The curation too manic, and most of the art doesn't make sense together. Even as a snapshot of black creativity, it doesn't work. Soul of a Nation are in the age of black power. The Tate in 2000 and 2017? I thought that was last year. Hmm. But anyway, um, was a brilliant exhibition because it zeroed in on a specific era of black art and really focused on it. The same thing, the places here did for 1980s Black British Art at the South London Gallery the same year. By trying to say so much, this chaotic mess of an exhibition is so broad and hectic that it doesn't actually tell you anything at all. Now, look, that might be um, a bit harsh, I'm not quite sure. Uh, But let me say, this is by Eddie... Frankel, um, and it was in Time Out. Um, now, so walking around, yeah, there were some really interesting pieces, you know, some real pieces that just made you think. So, like the American football player facing off against the cotton picker. So, what I discovered was so the, the American football player is meant to be the quarterback, and I think. It's meant to be saying, what real decisions do we have as a culture? So that's what it's meant to be saying. Um, Now, the problem I had was that none of the um, company writing for each of the pieces was really that visible. Uh, It was all very small print. And it was also printed in this weird way that made it look a bit blurry. So, you know, I mean, I, w- I was looking at everything. 
but it didn't really make any sense to me because I couldn't read anything that accompanied it so I couldn't understand the relationships of the work and sometimes when the Im image is abstract you don't even you know you can't make a judgment call on what the piece is trying to say um so yeah I found that difficult um and look even if people don't have a sight issue you know they may wonder um just you know what I mean what where do the pieces lead you you know what I mean? Like, what's the navigation through the room? Um, you know what I mean? Like, how is this piece talking to this piece? And, and so on. Like, um, I think as we were leaving, one of my friends found out that, yeah, Horace Ove is connected kind of to a, most of the work in there. But looking at the pieces... You can't, you know what I mean, make that assessment. There's no, um, there's nothing that will tell you that. And I think that's an issue. Giving that, that seemed very problematic. And it seems that's what um, Time Out is saying. You know, it, it, it's very difficult to um, really understand the story of all the work and how it connects and sometimes what it's actually saying, or, you know what I mean, where is that picture from, what part of London, what part of Britain, what part, you know what I mean, like, what, so, yeah, that was a, that was an issue for me, but the work, you mean, work alone, there was some incredible pieces, there's some, yeah, really just pieces that just made you think, you know, and I think that's a good thing, so, you know, I think even though this exhibition, I think it, it, it definitely has its failings. But I do think it's probably worthwhile seeing the work. You know what I mean? Just for an understanding, to see what was created, to see how certain things used to be to just get that understanding I think that's important so I would recommend people to go see the pieces uh, the one interesting thing as well like there was a painting um there that I'd also seen at the moon exhibition at um the maritime museum in Greenwich and there was also I think at least one, I do think there was a couple of images that were in the um, recent Kiss My Gender exhibition at the Hayward Gallery, which was, um, you know, interesting. Because I don't think I've ever seen, like, pieces from concurrent exhibitions, you know what I mean, that, that were shared like that. Like, obviously, you, you'll go and see something in one exhibition, and sometimes it will crop up in another exhibition, like, a year later or months later, but never at the same time. So that was interesting. But, yeah, there was there's some really powerful pieces. Um, so it would be a shame not to see it. And, look, I, I think if you can 
you know, read the signs and all of that, you're probably definitely getting more out of it than I was able to. So yeah, definitely check it out. Um, as I as I mentioned, this does end on um, Sunday the fifteenth of uh, September. So this coming Sunday. So go check it out. It's twelve pounds fifty, nine pounds fifty concessions under twelves are free. Okay, so um, that's get up, stand up now. Generations of black creative pioneers. And it's showing in the West Wing of Somerset House. Yo, people. So, UFC 242 from Abu Dhabi. Uh, Khabib Naman. Hmm. Nura Megadov. Nura Megadov. Yeah, butchered that. Let's just say Khabib, right? Against Dustin Poirier. So. Lightweight belt against the interim belt. Okay, so that big fight. Oh man, then we had Edson Barboza against Paul Felder too. Whew, there were some good fights on this card. So, um, yeah, man, Edson Barboza, Paul Felder. This was a damn war. This was everything we wanted in a fight this was brutality man these guys they just went at each other it was insane you know there was no sand sounding out here you know I mean, this was round four from their first fight even though that happened in 2015 you know, it was just like it happened yesterday. These dudes came out swinging. And, um, yeah, Barboza was throwing leg kicks, kicks to the middle, a few high. But, you know, they were blocked. But, uh, yeah, he's going for it, man. And um, he, he definitely had the first round. Felder... He, you know, he, he 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 started to find his range a bit more in the second. He's throwing some good punches, some heavy punches. I mean, the thing was though, his punches weren't as spectacular as some of the spinning elbows, back fists, and shit that Barboza was throwing. So you're thinking, will the judges really take note of? The good work Felder is doing. The third round, though, I think that when he's hitting Barboza, there is more noticeable damage. And Barboza is, you know, he's moving. He's getting pushed back with the punches. So it's, man, this was such a close fight. Such a close fight. And, uh, yeah, split decision. Split decision. It's 30 27 Barbosa. Next job, judge 29 28 Felder. When you heard 30 27, you're thinking Barbosa, right? Nope. Paul Felder gets the nod. Man, Edson. Edson and his team were a bit. They weren't. They, they, you know, they were pissy. They were definitely pissy. It was a close fight, guys. You know what I mean? 
It was a close fight. Now, yes, I think many people will probably feel Barboza won it. But Felder put everything into that shit. So I can't be mad that he gets that victory. Can't be mad. But yeah, this one. So now it's one all. You're thinking, are they going to fight a third time? Who knows, right? Who friggin' knows? But yeah, a lot of fun. A lot of fun. Now it's Khabib against Poirier. Um, now, I think the big question is, can Poirier keep this standard? Can he stop the takedown? And if he can't stop the takedown, can he get back up? Or can he do damage from the bottom? You know, Dustin is a black belt. So it's just like, yeah, you know, what, what could he do on the submission front? And... Yo, but, you know, Poirier's not doing too badly at first. He's keeping Khabib at bay, but it's five minutes, right? So, eventually, yeah, Khabib's going to take you down, and he does. So, he gets Poirier down, and he's, you know, he controls the rest of that round. When he goes to the, you know, the corner, Mike Brown, Poirier's coach, is just like, yo, throw heavy keep him at bay, and Dustin does that, Dustin does that at the beginning of the second, and he lands some good shots on Khabib, definitely lands some good shots on him, but Khabib again, you know what I mean, he, he's, he, he's smart, he circles away, um, and yeah, he comes back, takes Poirier down, so he's owning it, owning it, like Poirier is making moves to try and get up, but he's Khabib, man. Can't can't do it. Can't do it. Gets shut down every time. Third round, Khabib takes him down. Poirier throws in a guillotine. And hey, it was looking tight. Never gonna work though. Doesn't have two hooks. Doesn't have two hooks. Right? So he's got one leg around Khabib's back. But he doesn't have the other one there. And you need the other one. Because, you know, people can maneuver their hips. Can change their position. Give themselves a bit more room to breathe. And that's what Khabib did. So, Dustin, he's looking frustrated. He's looking just a bit like, what the fuck do I need to do here? Khabib lets him make an attempt to stand. And when he's doing it, rear naked sunk in, it's under the chin, it's all she wrote baby, it's win 28 for Khabib and still, but this was, this was a fun ass card people, and for the full breakdown, check out this week's chin check baby, check it out and you'll get it all, plus get a little Invicta action, it was Phoenix series number two, featherweights, and uh, so, yeah, get that breakdown too, people. Go check, chin check. What, what? Let's go on to um, this week's TV, yeah? So, in 2010, um, Michael Winterbottom, Steve Coogan and Rob Bryden teamed up to make a TV series called The Trip. Now, it was six parts. They're about half an hour each episode. Um, and 
that they then edited that and turned it into a film which i believe was kind of released internationally uh and yeah so the first one was the trip and that was set in england the north of england then we had the um the trip to italy uh which came out in 2014 now i didn't realize but there was a third well i found out after i read that they were making a fourth series so um i was like oh shit so i took a look and yeah they'd made a third called the trip to spain but where the original two aired on the bbc the trip to spain was exclusive to sky atlantic which uh yeah kind of shitty but um yo so i found um, they were showing the trip to spain on um now tv so i thought i would check it out so the premises um due to the success of the first two trips to northern england and italy the guardian this time in conjunction with the new york times asks steve coogan to write restaurant reviews from another week-long trip, this time through Spain. Rob Bryden, Steve's companion on the other two trips, is already aware of the trip and agrees to go in favour of staying at home looking after his kids. Beyond Steve's planned itinerary, which will take them south through the centre of the country, to mirror a trip he did when he was 18. They will necessarily embark on some of Don Quixote Sancho Panza's escapades, due in part to the current Terry Gilligan movie project um, that was being filmed. And, um, yeah, an- another kind of part of this. So, Steve Coogan and Rob Brydon are playing themselves but it's a a kind of a hyperized fictional version of themselves which they um yeah they kind of performed as uh in a film um a cock and bull story which was um directed by michael winterbottom so they're kind of reprising um those characters um and if you're interested uh, a cock and ball story came out in 2005 so yeah the kind of we just had them go around so this is the, the whole series each episode essentially is them going to restaurants trying the food and then driving and traveling to other locations and things like that. So it does make you terribly hungry. Because you're getting to see all this just incredible food. Be prepared. And then they're just like yamming it down. Paired with all these different wines. So there's that. But the other part of it is just the conversations and the interactions that's what really makes this show up that's the real kind of heart of it all and 
it's just hilarious. It, it's it's just cringy and funny and just uncomfortable. Because, you know what I mean? It, it, you have these two guys. So two guys who are extremely good comedic actors. They played serious roles. And so they're always trying to kind of one-up each other. Um, like, in previous series, they, they've, like, doing impressions of, um, like, uh, Michael Caine. And things like that. In this series, we get them, you know, battling over, you know, who does the best Mick Jagger. And um, who does the best Roger Moore. Or uh, Marlon Brando, and so like what, and and it's never just like, oh, let who can do the? It'll just be, it'll be having dinner. Someone will say something, and it will trigger the other to respond in an accent because it it all might be, um, you know, they're they're talking about certain facts, and it so happens that. And a certain actor made a film set in this place or about this thing. So they respond with um, an impression. And then you'll just have, a lot of times it's Bryden will do the impression first. And then Coogan, just see him looking at him, kind of rolling his eyes. And then he'll just be like, he'll go into his version of the, the, the impression. And be like, um, you know... Because it needs more bass. You you know you, you you don't fluctuate when you're doing it because the range differs. It goes up and then it goes down, and so you get that. And so then you just get these back and forths. And like in life, you know, sometimes they just go on way too long. Just way too long. So you're just like, oh my. Just, ah, oh, you need to stop. You need to stop. But it just goes on and on and on. Which is just cringy but funny. So goddamn funny. And then there's other stuff. Like, um, at one point, uh, so they've gone to eat. And it's like, it's like a nine-course meal. And towards the end, this huge steak comes out. And um, Bryden is like, oh, oh. You know, the reason I could never be a vegetarian. And Steve is just like looking at him. And there's no response. And he's just like, well, yes. And he's like, well, I love meat too much. <laughs> so you're expecting this just like long, you know, intricate answer. It's just like, no, just love meat too much. <laughs> and um, like... Then there's another bit when they just, I forget the reason, but it starts to kind of just roll off, like, um, actor's name. So, you like Eddie Redbrain, um, Cumberbatch, I, Dominic, no, Benedict, yes, I always get his name mixed up for some reason, like, yes, um, yeah, Benedict Cumberbatch, Tom Hollander, no, Tom Hiddleston, um, and then he's just like, Eddie Redmayne, you know what people don't actually mention? The fact that he's got the name that 
a, a young rich girl would call her horse. <laughs> and then they just go into this long bit. <laughs> and it's just, oh, it's just, it's just hilarious. There's a genius to it all. You know, it, it, it's just like, and at the end of a, a, a trip to Italy, Rob has an affair. And you're just like, oh, no. You know, and, and it was just like, oh, you like if you thought anyone was going to do it, it would have been Coogan's character. But no, it was Rob that does it. So that comes up in this series. You know, and, and it's like a conversation that's just like, you know, Rob doesn't really want to have this conversation. And Steve is just like digging and digging and digging. So, it, it, yeah, you get these kind of uncomfortable exchanges. But it's kind of, it's has that realism to it. Because, you know, it's the kind of things that people would talk about. You know, and sometimes someone's just like, you know, you know that technically they don't want to have a conversation, but you want the answer to something, so you just push them on it. You know what I mean? Be like, yeah, 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 no, I get it, I get it. But, you know, what would happen if, and they're just like, ugh, okay, fine, fine. Blah, 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 blah. Yeah, so, um, you know, so, yeah, it's just kind of a, this trip. But these different things are happening as well, like Steve's talk, trying to negotiate deals with his agency, like another agency is calling up Rob, trying to get him in, on board, so you have all of this as a thing with Steve's kid, yeah, it, it's just, it's, you know, because you you could fall under the misconception that it's very basic you know but it's not it's it is basic in its idea but the execution is great and it's you know it's a layered story in effect and the the one thing that I was just gutted about was the ending now if it's kind of like I wish I hadn't come to it from just the finding out there was a full series because the way this series ends you're like oh shit what the fuck is gonna happen now you really just ends on this crazy ass kind of note but yeah knowing that there's a full series is a bit like Ah, uh, whatever, yeah, it's fine, it's all gonna be fine, but yeah, just the way it ends, it's just crazy, just crazy, but I guess, also you find out a lot of facts though in this series, you know, a lot of things, there's a lot of talk on the, the Moors, and the Spanish Inquisition, and um, yeah, just all this Spanish history. So it's kind of fascinating on that front as well. But uh, yeah, I would say, look, if you were a fan of the trip and the trip to Italy, of the TV series or the films, you know, you will definitely like a trip to Spain. And um, 
Yes, I've mentioned the fourth series. The fourth series is a trip to Greece. I, I, I haven't seen any word on when that will come out. But um, I think they finished filming in June. So, don't know. It could come out towards the end of the year or beginning of next. But um, yes, I'm sure an announcement on that will probably be hitting at some point soon. And yeah, definitely looking forward to that. But um, yeah, people, a trip to Spain Another fun, great outing from Coogan and Bryden. Um, so, yeah, fantastic. Check it out. I really enjoyed um, the first book. So, this week, I decided to check out Throne of Jade, which is book two in uh, Naomi Novik's uh, Temeraire series. Um, I think it's also known as His Majesty's Dragons, the series itself. But um, yes, so I picked up book two. Uh, again, it's narrated by Simon Vance. And the, uh, the, the breakdown is this. When Britain intercepted a French ship, its precious cargo, an unhatched dragon's egg, Captain Will Lawrence of HMS Reliant unexpectedly became master and commander of the noble dragon he named Temeraire. As new recruits in Britain's aerial corps, man and dragon soon proved their mettle in daring combat against Bonaparte's invading forces. Now China has discovered that its rare gift intended for Napoleon has fallen into British hands and an angry Chinese delegation vows to reclaim the remarkable beast. But Lawrence refuses to cooperate. Facing the gallows for his defiance, Lawrence has no choice but to accompany Temeraire back to the Far East, a long voyage fraught with peril, intrigue, and the untold terrors of the deep. Yet once the pair reaches the court of the Chinese emperor, even more shocking discoveries and darker dangers await. So I was very intrigued to um, how this would play out. You know, because at the end of book one, you kind of have the understanding that this, you know, these events are likely to happen. Because, you know, you realise, oh, the Chinese have find out. Uh, so what's, you know, what will actually happen? So, um, yeah, I guess, like, everything that plays into Lawrence having to go to China, that's all fine, you know? Um, I, I'd probably say, when you break down the book, right, and you have all of these events leading up to China, and then finally you get the kind of resolution, it does kind of feel the resolution and everything like that is tied up really quickly when you kind of look at how long it took for other things to kind of take place so yeah I like I didn't mind the book at all but yeah I did kind of feel ah you know seems a bit rushed like this end part but okay fine what was really interesting I think, 
was um a lot of the kind of um I guess the realizations and the kind of deeper dives into society perception um class and all of that kind of stuff because you then have um like on the voyage to china you have Timorare question you know i think lawrence's idea of um like intelligent life you know and that's and in like that was interesting yeah um and then also in china there are kind of the way dragons are treated over there completely different to how they're treated in england so i think you have a kind of a look at that and a realization of the differences and you know oh is this one bad or is this one bad you know like okay so who's doing it the best and, and so there's that conversation i will i do feel though that the conversation didn't seem like it went far enough so i don't know if that's because these issues are going to be addressed in a future book you know but um yeah i you kind of feel like the conversation is it, it it's where it could have gone further you know because temere's kind of ideas on the matters are pretty much ah eh, you know whatever and so it's because there are places where Lawrence will be, oh, no, I so I think this. And then, you know, later on in the book, he might be like, oh, and I realise that my thoughts on this issue, I was probably misguided and blah, blah, blah. So if that had come later in the book, you'd be like, okay, fine. But that doesn't come. And you do feel that Temeraire's viewpoints are kind of pushed to the side. Even though the viewpoints are very valid and do kind of just play into um, like real world perceptions and marginalization and things like that. So, yeah, I would probably have liked more on those issues, you know, and especially like the sentient life thing is, you know, that was definitely interesting. But then the um the stuff in china now i will say with that there was a bit like you have temerary going oh you know i think that it's weird that we don't do that in england i think that should be a thing and lawrence is a bit like uh no oh well yeah kind of i think you're probably you're kind of right but it wasn't like i'm gonna push for this to be a thing you know what i mean so, I mean, I am intrigued to see, yeah, if this stuff does carry on. Also, there's the um, the whole thing about females, you know, captaining jag dragons. You know, because they do the um, the long arms and um, some other dragons. 
and the whole thing that all oh, the navy isn't meant to know and all the stuff like that and there is one conversation about this with um riley and it does seem a bit of a cop-out because it's just like oh i know it's crazy just don't tell any you know instead of just like hey they're very they're just as capable man like you mean i don't know why we're hiding it like women could be naval captains as well it's just something that just doesn't like seems the fact that you have him you know he's essentially dating um i forget the name of the lady who um has the uh the long arm um he's essentially dating her and he's always like oh yeah she's a really good captain so it's a bit like all right so you're saying that there but then behind her back you're talking shit essentially so i thought that and then as i said look we often have him kind of going, oh, yeah, you know, oh, I shouldn't have said that. So it wasn't even after the fact, even like, oh, I feel a bit bad. I should have held a corner. I shouldn't have, you know, I shouldn't have backed down. I should have stood my ground on that. Ugh, I'd puss it out. You know, if there was that, it would have been something, you know, but it wasn't. So I thought that was a bit, um, it was just an issue. It was a. It was, seemed a strange thing, you know, and it's a stra- And like, look, I'm not saying that the, the, these people need to be all PC and everything like that. Far from it, you know. But I think they need to fit the character, and character be kind of consistent. And so you have him getting indignant about some things. And he's like, oh, and that got my, oh, that got my belly up and whatever the expression is. So you have him like all of this on some things. But then on other things, other things that he supposedly cares about just as much, he doesn't. And I think that should be addressed in some way. You know what I mean? Just to give the book and the character more consistency, you know? Like, I do think this book did seem, a, it could have been a bit shorter. It did seem a little long, um, you know, and I probably didn't like it as much as the first book. But, like, not by loads. You know, it wasn't like, ugh, yeah, this was clearly bad. No, not nothing like that. I just think the first book I was probably a bit more intrigued, you know, rather than this one was just like, oh, okay, fine, you know, that's fine. Um, so I think I'm going to, uh, yeah, I've, so I think I'm going to check out the third book just to um give myself ain't just that kind of like okay so yeah this is definitely i definitely have these feelings on this series so yeah so the third book is black powder war so i'm gonna check that out and um depending on 
my final views will be whether I do, um, you know, the rest of the books up to book nine. Because, yeah, don't want to commit to something I'm not quite sure on. So at the moment, I'm like, yeah, I'm all right. But, yeah, not, I'm not like mad in fraud. It's like I didn't finish the second book and be like, yo, I need to know what happens next. You know what I mean? I wasn't into it like that. So yeah, I think we'll see what happens. So um, I think at some point soon, I'll probably do Black Powder War just to um, you know, just to kind of close the chapter on all of this, or think yeah, it is a series I will stick with, but. You know, I'm I'm guessing, look, if you like the first book, it's definitely worth checking this book out. For real. It's definitely worth checking this book out. As I said, look, it's not terrible by any means. And you do get some more insight into dragon culture and all of that kind of stuff. So, um, yes, this is Throne of Jade, book two in the Temeraire series. Uh, and it's by Naomi Novik. And it's narrated by Simon Vance. So, um, yeah, you know what I mean? I grabbed my books off Audible. And there's Audible all over the world. You know, America, Australia, France, Germany, wherever you are. So, no excuses, people. Go cop that shit. You know what I mean? Enjoy your reads. Alright? Peace. Okay, people, so we're drawing to the end of another episode. And so, as usual, a little bit of TV news before we bounce. So, in a some, yeah, I guess this was expected, right? Because um, Ma- Margaret Atwood has just released The Testaments, which is a, a, a sequel to her, um, her, Dystopian bestseller, The Handmaid's Tale. Jeez. <laughs> uh, so, The Testament is set 15 years after the original. Um, and um, Bruce Miller, who is the showrunner for The Handmaid's Tale at Hulu, is... Um, talking with Hulu about producing um, a a TV show on the Testaments. So, um, yeah, it's not like they're going to end The Handmaid's Tale, but this will be like, you know, a spin-off series, like The Fear of the Walking Dead, something like that. Uh, Which, yeah guess it makes sense it's extra content now the book's out there so you've got that story and all of that so why not utilize it um so no word on when this could be likely to drop or anything like that but yeah it's sounding like it is um something they're gonna do um so uh, some other news uh, HBO are um, they they're doing a TV series um, on um, 
the Lakers, the LA Lakers, around you know in the 1980s, um, which was the uh, the Showtime era, right? Um, and John C. Riley has just stepped in to play um, the late Lakers team owner, Dr. Jerry Boos. So originally, uh, Michael Shannon was meant to be um, taking on this role. But due to, um, I don't know, is this like creative differences? You know, that, that usual kind of thing that often comes up. But um, yeah, Shannon has, um, has pulled out. So uh, Riley is going to be um, replacing him, which is the first uh, series regular role that Riley has had, which is kind of interesting. He's been around for a long time, right? Um, so, in 79, um, Boos purchased the Lakers, um, the NHL's Kings franchise, and the Forum. Uh, so, um, yeah, this, this is a story about all of that craziness. Uh, so, Boos redefined American sports, celebrity, and wealth by transforming the Lakers into a dynasty. But his house of cards threatens to collapse on him and the people he loves the most. So yeah, I know it's gonna be it's be an interesting show. Um, it's gonna be directed or well, the pilot anyway from by Adam McKay, uh, but no word on anyone else in in the TV show other than um, Jason Clark. Who will be playing Jerry West? Okay, so in um, some other news, Netflix have just announced that their um, one of their flagship original shows, Grace and Frankie, will be getting a seventh and final season. Um, so the sip season is going to drop. January next year, 2020. Uh, so no word when the seventh will be coming out. If that's going to be later the same year or in 2021. But um, yeah, this will be um, the seventh season will be the last, and that is the longest um, run of any of the Netflix original TV shows to date. Which is interesting because the narrative is that things get cancelled after the second season. But this has made it to seven. So that's pretty good going. Uh, in other Netflix news, Kevin James has got, looks like he's got a new show called The Crew. Which is um, based on NASCAR. So... Um, yeah, the story is set in a NASCAR garage, and um, James stars as the crew chief. Uh, when the owner steps down and passes the team off to his daughter, James finds himself at odds with the tech-reliant millennial she starts bringing in to modernise the team. 
Uh, the um, show is going to be written by... Um, oh, who's it going to be written by? Let's ha- check. Okay, so it's going to be written by Jeff Lowe, who um, also wrote The Ranch and Two and a Half Men. And, um, okay, so finally, in um, a bit of a Disney Plus news... Uh, so, as we know, there's a there's a slate of Marvel shows that will be coming to the platform. One of which is Hawkeye, um, and so um, it's just been announced that Jonathan Igler is going to be um, writing and executive producing this show. Uh, he has worked on Madman in the past and um the series will see jeremy rayner reprise his role as clint barton um and it's also bringing in his protege kate bishop um and in the comic books kate bishop becomes hawkeye herself so this is kind of like a, a passing of the mantle TV show. And um, so word is that Haley Stanfield from, um, you know, who we know from True Grit and recently Bumblebee. Yeah, word is she's been offered the role of Kate Bishop, which, um, yeah, I can see that. So that's pretty good casting if, um, yeah, she does actually take the role. So, yeah, that could be pretty good. But um, this show isn't due to air until the fall of 2021. Um, But, yeah, people, that is it for this week. We will be back next Wednesday for another episode of Echoes from the Void.